Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 52. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? John, I am delightful. We are VMware Solution Engineers. <laughs> <laughs> your face like i saw your face out of the corner of my eye and i just lost it <laughs> you had that didn't expect him to say that <laughs> okay hang on <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> three two one john i am delightful we are VMware solution engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Um... This week is part two of our conversation with Charlie Nickel about the transition to becoming a manager. And it's interesting because the typical part one, part two that we've been following so far, that pattern that we've had has been part one is completely about career journey. And then part two is about kind of the topic that we invited the person to talk about. But that hasn't been the case with the Charlie Nickel episode. We, um, in episode 51 kind of got almost directly into that transition from individual contributor to manager. And we're continuing with that discussion, you know, things like one-on-one um, -on -one meetings and, and things like that, like just his perspective on what newly minted managers need to do to become better at that. And people who want to become managers have to have to do to prepare themselves. Right. And I really enjoyed his tips on how do I know if being a manager is right for me? What decision tree or set of questions can I ask myself to see if this is something I should even try? And he even gives us advice, you know, if you haven't tried it, how do you know? I think Ethan Banks echoed that same thing, that even his brief experience in management was helpful, even though he didn't care for it. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, again, a super insightful guy, you know, obviously extremely thoughtful, um, extremely introspective, and also very good at really communicating the lessons that he had learned, you know, to us in a discussion. Not everybody can be all of those things, right? Yeah. I mean, that just goes to show you, John, that managers can say smart things, Yeah. even though not everybody gives them the credit they deserve, right? Man, I, I just assume that managing a group of really smart, opinionated people has got to be one of the most difficult jobs out there. I'm sure it is. Without further ado, here we go. Charlie Nickel, part two. Something else I want to ask, Charlie. You, you gave some great nuggets on your transition to becoming a manager but if I'm someone out there who's an individual contributor at any company and I'm thinking about becoming a manager, 
what kind of advice would you give me? Is there a better way for me to advance? Or what if management's only the only way to go at my company? Yeah, so I think there's some short and long-term answers to that. Um, when I make decisions now, this is not how I made decisions when I was an individual contributor, by the way. But now when I look at my career, I go, okay, what's important to me? And I stole a whole bunch of this from Ben Bergeron's Chasing Excellence podcasts. But I look at bigger picture, what's important to me? What do I want to do? You know, What is it that I like about my job now? And where do I want to be in, when I retire? And what skills do I need to get there? So I've always wanted to run a small company. I like the ability to impact people's lives by doing that. And so if I know that I want to, to go do that job, I have some skills that, I'm, that I've crafted now that will be good at that. And then there's some other skills that I don't have. So how do I go get experience with those skills? So, <clears throat> for example, I need to learn more about the financial stuff right, in order to run a company. And so over the last couple of years, I've really worked on understanding what a regional director, a sales director might have to do. Could I step in and run my forecast call for my RD if they're out? The first answer was no, I absolutely couldn't. So I want to know what steps I need to take in order to be able to do that. So I went and asked my RD and I sat down with him and I understood and I grabbed his reports and I started to manipulate them myself and learn that financial side that is probably not the most fun for me, but it's really necessary to me building that full skill set. So if you're thinking about becoming a manager, what skills do you think that you have now that are already a good fit? Maybe you're a top performer. Maybe you like to work hard. Maybe you're good with people, but maybe you don't have any idea how things connect to the business, right? Or maybe you've never taken any classes on leadership. What does that mean? How do I motivate someone who is a bottom performer or who's unhappy, um, especially if I don't have the ability to exit that person from the business? Like I'm just going to be stuck with that person. What do I do about that? You know, read some leadership books, um, listen to some leadership podcasts, go to really, really good leaders and ask for a one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, how would you deal with this situation? You know, I don't know how to have a difficult conversation about someone's performance or someone's attendance or, um, you know, how to address something awkward. You know, how can you, how can you go build that craft if you want to be a manager? Go talk to people who are doing it. You know, most managers I know, especially really good ones, are willing to have that meeting with you um, at some sort of regular cadence so that you can go close that gap in your skill set. Um, how do you know if you want to be a manager? You know, does the stuff we talked about today sound exciting to you? Again, the same question is, you know, when you want to be an SE, are you ready to step away from the keyboard? Uh, are you ready to step a little further away from the keyboard as a manager? Because now your job is not to be excellent at the technology anymore. You need to understand how it works. You know, you need to understand why it's important to the business and whether or not it's a viable solution. Of course, you want to be able to see through smoke and mirrors type stuff. Uh, maybe see through the marketing a little bit and see if it's as real as it could be, right? Find some sources out there you know and trust, read what they say. But I think, <clears throat> are, are you ready to focus more on the people, right? That's what leadership is, is all about, is, is understanding people and helping them go achieve their goals. And if you're doing it right, you're going to be working for some of them at some point, right? You want to see them get promoted and move up and move on. And if that scares you or that threatens you, then it might not be a good fit. Uh, but I think the best way to find out is just to go do it. You know, go look at good leaders, ask them if they think you're a fit, just like my manager did with me. Now he sort of initiated that, that career conversation uh, about me being a leader. 
Uh, but it came from me saying, what's it take to get promoted to senior? Because eventually I want to work as a CTO. And he said, well, have you thought about leadership, right? So you need to go have that career conversation like you guys talked about in your earlier podcasts. You know, um, Go have those. And not just with your manager. I mean, I think the easiest thing to do is go find someone who's got something you want. You know, uh, someone who, for, so for me, it's uh, right now, I go talk to people who run small businesses. And I ask them how they got there and what that was like. You know, and I ask them to tell me the ugly parts of it, too. This may not be something I want, right? I need to know that better now than, than later. Um, and so I would encourage anyone that uh, if manager is their next step, um, you know, if it's just that's the only place for me to get promoted, that's the only way for me to make more money or to move up at this company, is it necessarily a good fit for you? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, what I wouldn't do is rule it out. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? So either two things are going to happen. Either you're going to be good at it or you're not, right? And, and if you're good at it and, and you find that that's something you want to continue, then great. That's sort of the easy answer. What if you take a shot at it and you become a manager and you're like, this is terrible. I hate it. Well, I would look at, you know, what don't you like about it? Is it the culture of the company? Um, is it that uh, <clears throat> you don't have a good mentor to help you navigate some of these things? Is it you don't like challenge and you're comfortable just being good at tech? Um, or is it that you really just don't like dealing with people all that much, right? If that's the answer, then, you know, it might not be a good fit for you. But I would say that and in the worst case, if you have a growth mindset, meaning that you're willing to accept challenges and know that that's going to cultivate you into a better individual, then why not give it a shot and see uh, what you can find out about yourself? Then you'll know for sure, you know, okay, well, that's definitely not for me. Now I can with 100% confidence go pursue this individual contributor path, knowing that I tried, you know, the other thing. Uh, but if you've got five or six other leaders that you respect, telling you to go give that a shot, um, I would be surprised if it's not a good not a good fit. It also doesn't have to be forever. Just because you manage people for a few years doesn't mean you're always going to be in that role. You know, that can, you can have the opportunities to sort of bounce back and forth. But I would argue that there are a lot of individual contributors who are leaders. Just because you don't have the manager title doesn't mean you're not a leader. I mean, and not even just a team lead, but someone who's setting an example, who's bringing the team up, who's being positive, who's bringing good, new, fresh ideas to the team, who's mentoring people, uh, that is a leader, right? Uh, someone that people follow, right, by definition. So are people following what you're doing? Well, then you're already a leader. So you might as well get the title, right? You might as well get, uh, you know, the, the promotion to go with it. Maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, some of those soft responsibilities like that um, leaders have or managers of teams have. Um, how do you develop people on a team? And, and, and maybe um, what I mean by that is, you know, when you go in and you're now you're the manager, you can't just do people's jobs for them, right? Um, if they have a, a gap, you can't just jump in and fill it. So how do you help people to develop um, as an individual contributor and fill in those gaps? Yeah, that's a great question. That's something that I definitely didn't know how to do. And I think it's really easy. You see this a lot where a leader or a manager was promoted to that job because they were extraordinary at doing that individual contributor job. You were a really good SE, so now you're SE manager. Or you were a really good sales rep, and so now you're a regional sales manager or an inside sales manager or a regional director. And a trap that a lot of people fall into, myself included early on, 
was when you see someone struggling, you're like, well, I was really good at that, so I'm just going to go tell you how to do it. And that's the old, you know, um, teach a man to fish story. Um, you have to, if you want to develop people, they have to fail, right? And uh, again, stealing nuggets from Ben Bergeron is that there's really no such thing as failures, right? Succeed or learn. And so if you don't give people that opportunity to learn, then they're not going to improve, right? And my manager always gave me the advice of letting someone have enough rope to hang themselves. And so you have to sometimes not step in when you see someone going down the wrong path and, and let them sort of make that mistake and then help coach them and learn from it. And I think VMware is really good about putting leaders through training. I've probably taken 30 or 40 classes since I've been at VMware and been involved in, you know, six month long, uh, even multi-year leadership programs where I'm with other leaders, both in person and virtual. And uh, one of them was called Genius Makers and they focused a lot on coaching. And so it really helps you to understand how to not just give someone the answer, but to ask them questions so that they arrive at the answer on their own, right? And that takes a lot more time and it's a lot harder um, and it's really awkward at first because you're not going to be good at it. Um, I don't think that anyone is, you know, naturally. But if you if you continue to ask them the question, you know, okay, so why why might you do that? It's almost like the five whys, right? But you got to not sound like an obnoxious five year old. So asking them why they might do something, what the implications might be, what they think the pros and cons are, and of course you got to ask the who, what, where, when, why not closed-ended questions, right? Just like an interview or like when you're asking a, a customer questions about their environment, let them elaborate and explain and let them arrive at that answer on their own without giving them the answer or like you said, doing their job for them. Now, you know, if it's a burning building scenario, you're not going to teach the firefighter how to, you know, not save the baby, right? Sometimes you do have to step in and, and, you know, stop something if it's uh, going sideways. <clears throat> but I got some coaching from one of my individual contributors early on. It's one of my first sales meetings in the field uh, as a field SE manager. And this was like my second field SE to hire. We were up in Boston and the customer was asking some questions about a technology that I had a lot of depth and experience in. And the SE didn't answer immediately. So I jumped up and just explained it all and went to the whiteboard and even brought in some slides and just sort of took over the meeting. You know, and I thought I was showing him how it's done. Like, hey, here's here's how you do things. And this is, you know, my second field SE. So we're a couple of years into my leadership role at this point, right? This isn't month two. And, you know, at the end of that meeting, he said, man, you, you stole my thunder. Like, you did all of my work for me. And, you know, I don't get to do my job. Like, what value am I to the customer? So now when they, I didn't get a chance to build that rapport with them and show them that I can be helpful to them and that I that I know my stuff and that I've honed my craft. And I was like, oh, wow. Here I am thinking I'm doing, I'm saying smart manager things, as Nick would say. I think I'm being a good leader by providing a good example of what running a meeting looks like. And I just took my SE's legs out from underneath him, you know? So not only have I damaged that relationship, I've sort of pointed the customer in the wrong direction. And I love that that individual contributor was brave enough to give me that feedback because that couldn't have been easy for him. Uh, but it was some of the best feedback I've ever gotten as a manager was, you know, don't don't steal his thunder. And so now we have a, I have a plan when I go in with SEs, you know, 
I won't step in unless you unless you want me to. What would you like me to contribute to this meeting? And every SE answers that question differently, probably in every meeting. You know, they'll answer that differently. Do you have a <clears> secret <throat> code word? Is that is that how you do it? Yeah, Butterfinger. No, I don't have a <laughs> don't, don't have a secret code word for that. But you know, usually it's uh, it's it's fairly obvious, especially if we talked about it in advance, which we do now. But you know, coaching is 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 so important, right? And and I think it also it needs to be bi-directional. You know, I ask uh, Nick can Nick can can call me out if I'm not telling the truth here, but I like to ask the team what I can do better for them. You know, I, I think very early on. I like to get a team together and talk about the why, you know, the, the Simon Sinek stuff. If you haven't read his books or at least watch his uh, Finding Your Why, there's some good uh, TED Talks on that that he did a number of years ago. Um, but I've actually taken that class. We had all the SE leaders take it where you spend a couple of days finding your why. And I like to do that with SEs so they can they find their why, you know, what makes them tick, why they're doing what they do. I like to explain my why to SEs early on. And when you do that, one, it makes you a little bit vulnerable so they can see, hey, I'm just a person. But I like to explain to them that, and again, I stole this from my previous manager, like, I work for you. My job is to help remove obstacles, develop you, cultivate your skills so that you can go on to your next thing, whether that's a promotion and title, whether that's manager, whether that's you know into a sales job, whether that's into retirement because you made so much money blowing your number out, whatever it may be. I want to help you achieve those goals. So you tell me what I can do better. And so when you have a bi-directional coaching early on and you set that stage, I find that the team isn't afraid to give me, you know, hard feedback. Uh, I've had a couple of them tell me, hey, when we're on one-on-ones, I can tell you're distracted. And I have this bad habit of like an email pops up and I would get distracted. Not intentionally, totally unintentionally. But it's something I really struggle with. So I got to either close the lid or kill email when I'm on the phone. You know, I've had a couple of SEs give me that feedback. You know, but I think because we opened the, the door early on to have bi-directional coaching, it sets it up so that you can give that kind of feedback in both directions. So that I think that really helps to develop people, especially when they feel like they're helping and develop you. Because all my SEs, you know, have definitely made me better. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, speaking of one-on-ones, Charlie, what do you think should ideally be discussed in a one-on-one between someone and their manager? Yeah, I like to have the first half of it just be kind of what's going on in their lives. You know, I like to let the SE just, you know, how you doing? What's going on? I try to remember things that, that personally are going on with them and see how they're doing, check in. You know, again, if it's about the people and you understand what kind of mindset they're in, uh, a little tip I got from a career coach that was assigned to me as one of the leadership programs at VMware was you know, take 60 seconds before you get on that one-on-one and meditate or you know whatever it is you like to do, meditate, pray, however you get your mind clear, do some breathing and just think about that person and what they might be walking into this meeting like. So if it's a field SE and I know that person's been traveling all week, had to drive a thousand miles, maybe taking this from the car, maybe they're taking it as they're about to go through security in the airport. They're probably feeling rushed and tired and exhausted. So what would I want to hear if I were them? You know, what would make what would make my shoulders sort of relax and make me feel like my manager is invested in me and my career? So I try to put myself in their shoes a little bit and think about what frame of mind they might be entering this conversation with. Talk about some, you know, I like to keep it non-work stuff, you know, early on. Uh, for the first, you know, half of it or so, and then let's address whatever they want to address. You know, sometimes they're uh, 
knocking out little things here and there within the meeting. So putting out fires, you know, things like that. But I've also found that if you use the right tools from a reporting perspective, we have a couple of those here at VMware from a, to understand the business and that kind of thing. If I know, and I've looked at their dashboard and I see where they are with their opportunities and I have an idea of what's going on, they've given me that what's working, what's not working feedback then we can discuss real things that need to happen in a phone conversation and not covering that surface level stuff. Cause that 30 minutes will fly by. Right. And if you only have 30 minutes a week with your manager, you don't want to spend it saying, I went to this customer. They said they liked this product. They don't like that product. They're going to buy X. I can get all that from a report. You know, let's talk about what real challenges you're having, how I can help you. What do you need to be successful? You know, or whatever they want to talk about, right? It's their time. It sounds to me like you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, maybe you can correct me, but you actually would appreciate it if the individual contributor is helping to set the agenda and maybe bringing things to the table, like problems they need solved, uh, you know, things that are getting in their way, you know, speed bumps that they need removed. Yeah, absolutely. So I offer that to them. I say, this is your time. Uh, shoot me an agenda. I have a an outline that I've provided them that's really simple, right? Like three bullet points. Um, and I say, you know, you own the agenda, send it over to me and I'll have a couple of things that I may want to talk to them about that I throw up on my whiteboard or, you know, in OneNote or whatever. But in general, I ask them to set the agenda and some folks do it. They like to email it over. There's, I have uh, one guy who emails over all the meetings he had the previous week and he'll put, you know, problem next to it. If he wants to highlight that, that challenge, you know, we have a, help me work through this issue with that partner, or can you contact someone in the BU about this or that? So I kind of know what I'm walking into. And then some people like to freeform it and you know, it's totally up to them. I think something that's also important is worth mentioning now is that I have twice a year, we'll have career conversations. Some people, and that's up to the SE, you know, they're welcome to do it quarterly. Uh, I find that quarterly, not usually enough changes to make real progress against goals. But if someone wants to talk about it quarterly or, if, you know, a position open, they think might be a fit, a specialist job or something. And we need to have one more urgently. We certainly can. But those are separate career conversations, separate from the normal one on one. That way, we're not trying to squeeze it into the last seven minutes of a phone call. Right. A career conversation is important. It doesn't need to be talking about putting out fires. We don't want to be talking about day to day tasks and such, we want to be talking about what's important to them and, and their career. So I think if the SE knows that those are coming on the calendar, it helps them then to narrow the focus of the one-on-one -on -one to what are the more immediate things they need to be working on. Have you ever had someone come into a one-on-one -on -one and not really know what to ask you about? Sure. Because they didn't think um, about it before? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can always, uh, there's always stuff to, to chat about, even if the, even if most of it's personal, right? I still think it's beneficial because this job's all about relationships, right? If, um, if the SE trusts me, then I can better help them help, better help guide them in their career and better help, uh, solve problems. Um, if they don't, then I can't. And so sometimes it might just be that they need to, they need to vent for a little while, right? So I can, I can usually ask questions that will get them uh, in, in the mindset to, um, you know, dig into some stuff that would be relevant. Sure. And in your case, at least, you know, 
not too long ago, you had some people that were that you could go and talk to in person while others were remote. How do you find your one on ones changing based on the proximity of the employee? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think with the I mentioned this earlier, there's a couple of things that are really important, which is to give them 100% of your focus. You know, that's the, some feedback that I've gotten. Um, and it's easier, I think now, because I'm aware of that to do that on the phone. It's only for sometimes it's the only 30 minutes I talk to that person other than a team meeting. Uh, not often. I usually talk to, to everyone multiple times throughout the week. But you know, if it's a busy week and I'm traveling and they're traveling, it might be the only 30 minutes. So I know how it feels when I talk to my boss and it's the only 30 minutes I get with him. It's really important. Those minutes are precious. So again, close the laptop uh, or, or kill email or notifications or whatever. Maybe even put my phone, you know, down and walk away from it, um, which can lead to other problems like where'd I put my phone? Uh, if you've got wireless AirPods, <laughs> which happens to me quite a bit. But uh, for the folks in person, something that I learned was that because I could easily walk over to their cube or they could come to mine, it was easy not to protect that one-on-one -on -one time and not treat it as, as precious as I did the remote folks one-on-one -on -one time because it's not as big of a deal, right? Cause you talk to them four or five times a day and you know, I never got this feedback, but it was just something I became conscious of that, I, so if I got a text message, sometimes I would at least look at it and see if it was, you know, something business important or is it the wife or whatever. And that that's sending the message to them. I don't know if they take it this way or not, but I firmly believe it's sending the message that you're not as important as my phone right now as soon as I pick it up. Right. I need to treat that one on one time just as um, important as the one on one time with the remote employees. So I think it's a little easier to, to know that and acknowledge it for remote folks, not as easy to do it in person. And you have to be really intentional. I mean, there's all these apps on our phones that are designed to get our attention, right? And they're really good at it. And so I have to be good about turning that over and not looking at it, not answering any phone calls when I'm in that one on one time. And I had some conversations with my on site SEs about that. And they really appreciated that. You know, that was important to them. Um, you know, keep the be on time for it. Keep the time crisp. If I'm going to cancel it, almost never cancel one. Um, I'll move it. You know, I do weeklies with everybody. Um, if they want it to be less often than that, we can talk about it. But I almost always do weekly. And if they need to move it, if they cancel it on me, I'll go put it back on their calendar for another time. Right? If they want it to be canceled, that's fine. If they really don't want the time, but I find that the folks that tend to say, well, we don't really need to have the one-on-one. -on -one. I don't have anything to talk about. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let's just go have it anyway, right? Um, there's probably some stuff they don't want to talk about, and I need to dig in. That means there is something there. Or maybe a relationship just needs to be built, you know? Where do you think that culture of weekly one-on-ones comes from? I, I noticed it, you know, right when I joined VMware, and it was, I don't want to say alien to me. Like, I, my previous um, employer, my manager had something like, 17 reports so it turned into bi-weekly and then it turned into monthly and then he was across the country and it got canceled like 40 percent of the time so i think we had like you know six one-on-ones in, in my last year or something like that um but <laughs> and, and that might be an outlier in the other direction but this this weekly one-on-ones I, I mean i love it but uh where what do you think the origin of that like is is that like a um a company like cultural thing is it a company management culture uh what's the source do you think 
That's a good question because there isn't like an industry accepted answer for that that I've noticed in any kind of manager training where they say if you're a good manager, you're doing it this way. Um, you know, I think I go back to it, it is something I've only experienced at VMware and I did have the same experience with as you did at other companies where there was a leader who I, I really liked having time with him, but he would almost always cancel my one-on-ones and he would do it about five minutes before or he would no-show to it. And it was just like, oh, you know, as an individual contributor, I'll never forget what that feeling was like. And so maybe that contributes to me wanting to hold on so tight to them. But, you know, my manager always did it and uh, always made sure to reschedule if he couldn't. In fact, while we were sitting here, uh, I noticed I'd, my manager had a conflict today and moved our one-on-one, but he didn't cancel it. You know, even today, that's still important to me. So, you know, I think that it's definitely a VMware culture. I don't know that it happens on every single team, but on all the teams I've been on, I've always felt like they were good. And I've asked the team, you know, do you want these weekly or do you want them bi-weekly? And there was a time when I was on the inside and had some really senior SEs who I saw constantly when I was in the office every single day who said, I only need time with you every other week. That's fine. And that was when I had 13 or so direct reports and I had some newer folks and I was also hiring a bunch of positions and they were like, look, I don't, I don't need it. I see you and talk to you enough. I just walk over to your cube and talk to you about things. But it was still good to have that dedicated time for us to sit there and talk because, you know, while we already had a deep relationship and I'd known them for four or five years, there's still just stuff that comes up in a quiet setting with no one else around that's not going to come up otherwise. You know, again, it's all about relationships. You hear this a lot and it sounds kind of cliche that with your customers, you're building relationships and with your employees, you're building relationships. But I think there's cliches and then there's where the rubber meets the road. And for me, I like to see both parts of that. And for me, one-on-ones are always where the rubber meets the road because you can just, you can say a lot to a person by, you know, not canceling them, by being on time, by not being distracted, by being fully engaged and by asking about their life. You do those, those things. None of that takes any talent. You don't have to be very smart to get all that right, but it means a lot to a person. And I think it really sets up for good relationships. Yeah, most definitely. I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I had to get past the feeling of being pulled in the principal's office during one-on-ones when I started at VMware and not, I, I don't know why, but it seems like when you're in operations, working a help desk or something like that, they just don't necessarily happen on a strict cadence or it's not anything strategic it's more tactical where are we on these five projects so it was very different Mm -hmm. when i came on board vmware in a good way yeah and i think you know there's some really interesting stuff going on now we could probably do a whole podcast on this too about uh, a generation of people who struggle to have face-to-face conversations or even phone conversations you know because there's so many other ways for us to communicate you know text or im or email and, you know, I think email, a lot of these have been the, but especially in the corporate world, email is like the, the death of communication because people take things different ways than they are meant. And sometimes a five minute phone conversation is worth 45 emails, you know, and can be so much more effective. And that was something that I learned from working on the inside when there was something sticky and I'll always coach SEs on this. This is one of those where I'll, I'll give them the answer. I'll say, you know, do you think that after they've gone back and forth a few times and sent me an email, do, do you think that you're going to solve this over email or, or might there be a better way? You know, And that's sort of giving them the answer, right? 
um, it's kind of a violent shove into go have a conversation. Um, <clears throat> but once I've done that, I find that they'll generally go go have that conversation, even if they're awkward, which, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever met an awkward SE, but we're out there. So, uh, so <clears throat> you know, I think that when you focus on um, these, these one-on-ones, what it does is it gets that awkwardness out of the way and it builds a relationship, you know, pretty early on. It's the same reason that, you know, I try to invite my whole team to my house for a dinner where I cook them food. I want them to see that I'm a human and I've got a family. And Nick, as you know, Berkeley's going to sit down, my my four-year-old, he might sit down in your chair with you and grab a piece of food off your plate, right? The, the whole idea is for yeah, everyone to see that. Yeah, an animal. <laughs> he is. He'll come at you with a plastic sword too, but... The, the whole him. point He's is, great. To, <laughs> and he loves him some Nick. But you know, the whole point is for my team to see me as just a person, right? And, and as a manager, I'm not quote above you. I'm not better than you, right? My job is just different, and it's to help guide you. So if we can see each other just as people and get to know each other, I think a lot of that gets facilitated by very earlier in the in the relationship and getting to know each other and working with each other, having those. Um, one-on-one conversations, both in person and on the phone, um, so that you just get to, you understand where people are coming from, right? It's, it's like the whole why thing and sharing my why with my team and having them discover theirs and then share it back with me is that then when someone says something, if you don't know who they are, where they're coming from, it's really easily easy to get offended or get defensive and respond back. But if you understand who they are, you go, oh, I totally understand why. Nick is saying that in that way, because in his previous job, you know, he dealt with X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, it just really helps you understand people in a, in a better way and, um, you know, where they're coming from. It sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is building up this relationship so that um, the awkward conversations become less awkward. Like one of the things that you mentioned, I mean, almost as a throwaway was having a career progression conversation. I think that's something that we we recently uh, talked about. And, and one of the things that we mentioned is like, sometimes that's a super awkward conversation to have, right? It's like, cause it can come across as, Hey boss, uh, I don't want to work for you forever. So how do you help me do that? And, and that can be, uh, if you, if you put it that way, it can be really offensive, right? <laughs> so, um, so building that relationship, uh, you know, almost as like what you're saying is, you want to be positioned as a person who wants that person to grow, who wants to, um, if they regard this as a nest, you want to see them fly it eventually. Right. Absolutely. I mean, good leaders want to see their people get promoted. You know, if honestly, if a leader is struggling with that, uh, they're probably struggling with some, some insecurities of their own to, to be completely blunt. Um, I, I think, it's of course hard to see your best employees get promoted up and on. You know, I turned over almost my entire team when about halfway through my leadership career at VMware, where they all went, you know, up and on to their next step in their career, be it manager or specialist or uh, to a, a segment with, you know, bigger accounts or whatever. And, you know, it's bittersweet for sure. You know, it's like, man, you're, I'm going to, I'm going to have to backfill this incredible talent. I got to go find another incredibly talented person and coach them and train them up. And they're not going to be as good, you know, on day one, you know, and that's sure that's hard to let happen. But uh, my experience is that when you set people up to be 
to, to come onto your team to see that promise. You know, when you have a new person coming in and they're seeing uh, a more senior person move up and on, it makes that newer person work harder, right? You're going to end up with a team that's going to work harder, be more productive, be happier. And while, yes, you're going to deal with some turnover, the reality is you're going to deal with turnover either way, either negative attrition because people don't like working for you or positive attrition because you've done such a good job developing them that they're going to move up and on. And, of course, they've, the, the individual contributor has done that work themselves. It's not all the manager, obviously. But, you know, you just have to accept that those are the realities uh, of this job. You know, we're very fortunate here at VMware that we attract incredible talent. Right? There's a lot of people that want to work here. And so the candidate pool is always very rich. Um, but I also... Um, and, and, and recruiting is a full-time job. When I have open, open positions, it's like having a second job, you know, it's a ton of work. Um, but it's also incredibly rewarding to see those folks come in and you can see that they've got some skills that they don't even know that they have and to watch them get cultivated into something they never even dreamed they could be and then surpass their own expectations. I mean, that's my whole why kind of drawn out into multiple sentences. That, that is my why is to watch people, you know, surpass their own expectations um, and watch them become confident. You know, there's a there's a great story of watching Nick having never talked to a CIO before. And on the way to Dallas, uh, you probably remember this, Nick, we had a phone conversation. The CIO was going to show up to this meeting and he said, what kind of questions should I should I ask her? Uh, and I told him to go do some research on her on LinkedIn. And he went and found out all this really interesting stuff about her time at that company and the things that she had been through and how she had survived some weird transitions. And we had a probably, what, Nick, a two-hour phone conversation when I was driving up to Dallas to, to meet you? Yeah. And yeah. I challenged him on what kind of questions, and what would a CIO care about? You know, what would she want to hear? If you were in her shoes, what kind of questions would you like to have? And it went on and on for, for a couple hours. And I'll never forget that the next day in that meeting, he asked her a question, and her response was, wow, no one's ever asked me that, you know? And we're like, like doing the happy dance under the table. Like, yes, that's what we're looking for, right? We're, we're looking to ask profound questions to, to CIOs to, so that they know that we've done some research and we've tried to understand their business and that we care, you know, and that we want to understand how we can partner with them, you know? So I think, uh, when you see someone sort of turn the corner like that, it's like, yes, that's, that attribute that I knew that was in you, that diamond that needed to be, you know, needed some pressure on it to turn into a diamond, um, we are we are seeing that being cultivated, right? And so when it comes to you know recruiting and hiring and developing people, that is far more rewarding than anything else in this job, you know. So even selfishly for me, I guess watching people get really good at their job and being promoted up and onto the next thing that's actually becomes a pretty big reward for a manager. And if you're not ready to face that, then man, you're missing the good stuff. You know, yeah, you're, you're missing the, the real prize that's out there as a leader. Cause that's what it is, is watching people, you know, move up and on and, and do that kind of thing. Charlie, you've just been so generous with your time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and that last thing that you said about, uh, again, it, maybe it's just a commentary on you know, management culture here that I've seen, um, it, the idea that there's like a soft metric somewhere, and maybe it's not being measured, but this idea of how people have blossomed and grown underneath your management, right? How maybe one way to judge a manager is 
how well their people are progressing and getting promoted either to management positions or, or leadership positions or specialist positions um, uh, because they've grown so well underneath that manager. And I don't know if there is an official metric on that, but, but maybe, you know, at a high level leadership position, somebody should be measuring that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it's, uh, I think it definitely is a, is a good indicator of um, someone that's a good leader, you know, aside from just going and asking all the people that work for him, how you liked working for him. But uh, I think that's definitely a sign of a good leader, you know, someone who really embraces that servant leadership where they really do act out the words that I work for you, Mr. Individual Contributor, you know, like, like the Sanjay Poonins of the world do. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think to, to sort of answer your, your last question better, you know, if I'm, if my manager is, if I'm looking at wanting to move up and on, am I going to, am I going to rub my manager the wrong way by saying, Hey, what, you know, what's my next step in my career? That kind of thing. First of all, I don't think most managers are going to, um, of course, how it depends on how you word it, but I don't think most managers are going to punish you for that per se. Hey, I want to eventually get off your team. Um, so let's say you're in a position where you think they would, where you go to have that career conversation and the manager's like, so, I mean, I, I invested all this time in you and now you're going to leave my team? Say, well, okay, um, what is your vision for me on this team? Put the, put the onus back on them and ask them how they envision developing you and, and growing you. What, what, do you. what do they think that you would be good at? So Mr. Manager, you know, I've been on your team for X amount of time. I see the the other options on this team are senior or architect or whatever they may be. Let's say you're in operations. Um, what does that my career look like in your eyes? You know, what could I aspire to be? Let them answer that question. And let's just say that manager is, you know, selfish with the talent and they don't want you to ever leave and you're getting that feeling and it's pretty clear. However, however that happened, you think it's pretty clear. What I would say is, okay, what skill can you cultivate right now you can learn how to work for a really tough boss, you know? What if you get good at working for a jerk? That is a skill set that I promise you're going to get to use again later. You know, not necessarily that you're going to work for a tough boss, but you're going to have a tough customer. You're going to have a tough person on another team who doesn't want to help you for whatever reason, whether it's you're a manager and you now got to make two operations teams talk to each other to get your SE paid. Right? You've got to learn how to get those people to do what you need them to do. Or you're going to have to get this specialist to talk to that person in PSO and this architect to come together to cultivate a solution for your customer. Right? You've got to get a bunch of people who don't report to you, who aren't incentivized to do what you want them to do, to, to come together. How do you do that? Right? And so working for a difficult boss is a way that you can cultivate that relationship. You know, You can learn how to deal with someone who's not easy to deal with because I can promise you if you're good at that you're going to be good at every job you have after this right it's a challenge you're going to have later on down the line be it personal or professional right maybe you're trying to get the the mailman to quit throwing your mail on the ground right or maybe you're trying to get the the trash guy to uh, pick up the extra boxes you set outside you know go out there and have a conversation with him right deal with the difficult person heads on and be super nice about it and and that's going to be a skill set that I think is going to take anybody really far and that's not just technology right or or even leadership that's just you know life so i think there's a there's always something you can learn from every situation you know i always ask 
you know, that, that character is built under under pressure and under turmoil. And uh, you know, there's a smart person that said all all spiritual progress that is built on the um, the touchstone of pain, right? So if there's some pain going on, I'm getting cultivated here, right? So what am I learning from this this scenario? You can always use it as a, a learning experience. So um, you know, even if you do get all of the the answers you don't want out of that career conversation. Okay, this job is what it is. You know, maybe I need to be looking to move on, but back to my er earlier comment, if I want to be a CEO of a small company one day, what skills can I learn in this job right now that are going to help me achieve that goal? Right? So I'm going to be building skills that are going to help me and help this company. Maybe I'm not going to get promoted to when I get promoted to, but it's going to set me up for my next job. Yeah, that's great, Charlie. Uh, hey, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but any uh, any parting thoughts that you might have on on people looking into the you know looking at that decision to maybe become a leader of people or a manager? Yeah, I think it goes back to something we talked about earlier, which is you know find those people whom you admire who have the a job that you think you might want, whether that's an individual contributor at a very high staff, architect, CTO level, or um, a manager at any level, uh, including your current manager or, you know, a skip level one-on-one, -on -one, which is a great thing to go have, of course, with permission from your existing manager. Uh, but go find those people who are doing something you think you want to do and ask them what they love about that job. Ask them what they don't like about that job and ask them for honest feedback based on what they know about you. If you think, if they think that you would be a fit, you know, and then go close those skill gaps. Uh, I think again, I think the important thing to focus on here is that every, if I look back on my career, every single job I had from data protector backup administrator, which at the time seemed really miserable, um, all the way up into, you know, leading a team of field SEs in the enterprise space in the central US for VMware, every job leading up to this one was necessary to build me into who I am today. You know, I was learning something that whole time. And so, if you think that your job is terrible right now, uh, what can you be learning? What can you be getting really good at? Maybe it's sustaining repetitive, boring work, you know, or maybe that it's so easy that it's given you some extra time to go cultivate another skill set that you might not have time to work on if your plate was completely full. You know, maybe it's learning how to deal with that difficult boss or some difficult coworkers, or maybe you can just make somebody's day better that you work with in a company where the culture isn't great. You know, like none of us are happy here, but I can smile at that person, call them by name and buy them lunch or whatever it may be. Right. And those are all things that are going to, I think, help not only in the short term, make you happier and see a little more purpose in your day, but build that skill set that's going to make you a better leader, whether you have a manager title or not later on in your career. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Nick, again, just a great conversation. Uh, really smart guy, like I said up top. Um, I really liked what he had to say about team development, uh, developing individuals. Um, it's, again, something that in retrospect is obviously part of the job of the manager. Um, those of us who have had really good managers and really bad managers, probably, you know, that's one of the contrasts that we would point to. 
Certainly. And the whole idea of advise versus tell what to do, that has to be a difficult transition, especially when you're pretty sure you know what the answer to the problem is already. You have to help the person get there on their own. Yeah, that's a really difficult transition to make for you know, all of us uh, um, smart guys, right? It's like, oh, I know the answer to that. Let me tell you. Well, that that's great. Um, are you going to tell me every single time that I'm in this situation? Or are you going to teach me how to be just as smart as you or find information the way that you do, et cetera, et cetera? So, you know, a really interesting lesson. It's, it's something I've heard, you know, a couple different times now, now that I think about it. It's that, you know, teach a man to fish, right? Yes, sir. I liked the way Charlie handles his one-on-ones. And he would even put them back on someone's calendar if that person canceled because he put such a level of importance on doing that with managing a remote team, as is his current reality. I, I just really appreciated the fact that he put such importance on it. And I would encourage other managers to certainly do the same. Yeah, yeah. Another, I, again, I don't know if that's a cultural thing at the company that we work at, but it's definitely not something that I've seen emphasized to the same degree in, in other positions that I've had in the past. So uh, anything else before we get out of here? One final thought. I really enjoyed what he said about, you know, if you're in a really bad situation, there mm. are there are some things that you can do to learn from that situation. I'm not going to spoil it because that was one of the best nuggets in this episode, in my opinion. But how do you approach a really bad situation and how can you turn that into a learning experience? Yeah, I really enjoyed that part. Um, it, I, I think that, you know, ultimately, there, I, this is one of the, the episodes, you know, 51 and 52 that I'm going to come back and listen to um, periodically. So it's, it's been uh, really good to uh, re, re-listen to it uh, since we initially talked to him. Yeah, and I would say open call for other managers out there who want to share some nuggets about what it's like to be a manager, a different perspective, you know, what it's like to go there as a career path. Bring it on, let us know, and we'd love to help you say some smart manager things on the podcast. Agreed. And if you have a particularly good manager who you think that we should interview about this topic, um, maybe you're you know, interested in hearing about their perspective on managing people um, and, you know, help them break down, you know, why it is that they're a good manager. Maybe you could uh, give us a reference to that manager and and we'd be happy to, to reach out with your introduction. Right. And maybe you don't have a great manager, but you need a great mentor. There's no reason you can't send that tweet out to at Nerd Journey today to join the John White School of Mentoring and talk to John about what he thinks good management should be. Pricing and packaging to come. (laughs) Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios. Adios.